Alright, what am I doing here? Security authorization accepted. Alright, here we go. You and your crummy comic books, that's all you ever think about. They're comics, you ass! Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, it'll make me feel too good. A couple of times you read a comic book, I chew up. The real question is this. Are comic books good, or are they not good? This comic book describes a sexual aberration so shocking that I couldn't mention even the scientific terms on television. I think there ought to be a law against them. Tonight I'm going to show you why. it was an awful movie I'm sorry no I, I don't think it has any redeeming qualities the movie was just plain bad yes yes Alicia Silverstone was in it yeah I, I know she was in it and I still think she's cute but that's not the point wait God. wait wait a second hold on God hey everybody Welcome back to Views from the Long Box. I'm your host, Michael Bailey, and this is episode 33 of the show for Wednesday, March 19th, 2008. I'm actually on the phone right now with some guy who got my number under mysterious and as-of-yet-unrevealed circumstances that is asking... No. Asking is the wrong word for it. Uh, demanding that I do an entire episode based on 1997's Batman and Robin, the movie with the properly cast, but given absolutely nothing to work with George Clooney, and the horribly miscast, and still given absolutely nothing to work with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's trying to convince me that, yes, yes, I'm still here. I'm trying to do a podcast. Look, look. Look, I do not have time for this. I have an episode to produce, and I'm running late as it is. No, I will not call you back. Because I don't know who you are, and at this point, I don't really care. I'm not asking you to take anything. All right, all right that's it. I'm hanging up now. Bye-bye, crazy Batman and Robin fan guy. God, man, the nerve of some people. Not only does he call me out of the blue, but he also insists insists that I do an episode retracting any bad statements I have made about Batman and Robin over the years, and I'm not going to do that. The movie was bad. There's no other way to describe it. 
Actually, that's not true at all. There are plenty of ways to describe it, but I'm trying to watch the language on the show, especially after being informed that a person wants to be warned if the F-bomb is going to be dropped, just in case they're, you know, at work, and especially if said work is, you know, a church. So, um, apologies to that person. I don't know if he wants, uh, you know, his where he works, kind of spread over the internet. Uh, I wasn't thinking there, buddy, and in, in the future I'll drop a warning in there just in case, I promise. Despite being creeped out by a mysterious caller who is sick enough to like a film that a Karen Silkwood-type shower couldn't wash away, it does nicely tie into the subject for this week's episode, and I can honestly say that this is an episode that you demanded. Well, maybe not you specifically, but a couple of you. Demanded. Well, asked. Common amongst the feedback I occasionally receive is a desire to hear me devote an entire episode to one character and then to discuss my feelings on them, their history, their stories, whatever. And I'm of the opinion that if someone is going to take the time to not only write into my small yet mostly overlooked show, but to also ask me to talk about something, then I owe it to them to find a way to accommodate that. One of those requests was Batman, and I actually had to take some time to think about what I have to say about Batman. Well, that's not true entirely. I have lots to say about Batman. It's just taking all of that and organizing it into 20 or so minutes of hopefully entertaining and engaging discussion. That, my friends, was the challenge. You see, one of my deep, dark fan secrets is that as much as I love Superman, and as happy as I am as a Superman fan... I started out life as a Batman fan. I think I may have gone over this in a previous episode, but since those early episodes are pretty much forgettable, in my opinion, I think I could do it again without being accused of repeating myself. And I tend to do that anyway, so there's that. Anyway, one of the apocryphal tales of my early days is that my third word after Mama and Dada was actually Batman. I was all about some Batman. I doubt that story is true, but, you know, (laughs) heck, it might be. I don't know. I don't remember. I, you know, know, learned to speak when I was, like, one or two or something. So, you know, whenever kids learn to speak these days. Of course, with kids growing up as fast as they are, they're probably learning to speak in the womb. So, there's that. But anyways, all about some Batman. Sure, there was Christopher Reeve and all that, and I liked watching Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, you know, tear it up week after week, but my absolute childhood favorite was Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin. Or Batman and more, as I apparently called them at one point. I I remember this one, or at least I remember my mother telling me about it, that when I was learning to talk, and when I would ask for something involving Batman and Robin, I would ask for Batman and more, because the commercials advertising the toys would say something like Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and more. So my young mind processed more as Robin. But yeah, I I can't tell you how many hours of my young life were wasted sitting in front of the television watching Adam West and Burt Ward gallivanting Gotham City fighting Cesar Romero and Burgess Meredith and Julie Newmar, who <laughs> who I appreciate on a whole other level now, uh, because that woman was hot, and even like 10, 15 years ago, she was still kind of hot, so yeah, all about some Julie Newmar. Never, never really cared for Lee Merriweather. Never really understood Eartha Kitt either as a actress or phenomenon. I mean, 
My wife likes her rendition of Santa Baby, but that's as far as the Eartha Kit love goes in this house. And then there was Frank Gorshin and the rest of them. God, I loved that show. Absolutely loved it. Haven't watched it in ages, so I can't say how I feel about it now. And I tend to vacillate between having a certain nostalgic fondness for the live-action and animated series and movies that I watched as a kid and not being able to stand them. So one day, I might say, oh, it was pretty bad, but I liked it, and it meant so much to me, and I loved watching the heroes fighting the villains. And the next, I'll be, man, that show sucked. Everyone involved should be taken out back and shot, execution style. Who wants to join me in my quest to track down every single print and negative so that we can burn them and save future generations and the horror of it all? Come on, who's with me? Ha ha! But when I was five or six or seven or eight or thirteen, you know, it was different. I remember vividly remember being with my mother at this little mom-and-pop video store in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, probably around 1984 or so, and finding the Batman movie from 1966. And I was just blown away. I, I couldn't believe it. Not only was this a movie of the show I loved so much, but a movie I had never heard of. You know, looking at it now, because I own it on DVD, because that's the only thing they've really released of that show on, DVD, at least legit. It's not a bad movie in, tra- in the traditional definition of bad movie. I mean, it was of its time and everything. But frankly, it's pretty amazing that they actually produced the film based on the success of a television series. Again, didn't care about any of that when I was like eight. I, I was just happy to see a Batman film. Batman was also my favorite character on the Super Friends. Don't remember how I felt about Robin probably saw them as a package deal at the time. There's Batman. There's Robin. Never one without the other, unless some Frankensteinian scientist combines the powers of the Super Friends, and Robin has to get all roided up to stop the creature. I liked Batman from the Super Friends so much that I would watch the new Scooby-Doo movies every day, just on the chance, the mere chance, that it would be the Batman and Robin episode. Imagine that. A child so single-minded in his quest that he is willing to watch episodes featuring Sandy Duncan, the Harlem Globetrotters, and Sonny and Cher, and all kinds of people he doesn't care about, all because he wants to see Batman, and was too damn lazy to change the channel. As far as the comics go, well, Batman comics are actually some of the first I ever read. Again, way back in the early days of this show, all ten months ago, I discussed Batman from the 30s to the 70s, a hardbound collection of Batman comics that was published by Crown Publishing in 1971. For those that came in late, I found it in the Fairview Elementary School Library, also located in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, and both that book and Superman from the 30s to the 70s were the two that I checked out the most. At the time, I was more interested in the Batman volume. Much more interested. It hurts, on a certain level, to admit this because of the Superman thing. But if I'm going to be honest, then I'm going to be honest. I liked reading the Batman stories, and truth to be told, when you look at the two volumes today, the Batman book still edges out the Superman one by a safety or something. You know, whatever close shave type of scoring system you want to use. I think it comes down to the stories that were chosen. 
The Superman volume had some good ones, but the last third of that book was mostly bizarro stories, and a little of that really goes a long way, as I found out a couple years ago when I sat down to read my Tales from the Bizarro World trade paperback. You know, I don't really care that Jerry Siegel wrote most of those stories. You, you can They're like romance books. You can only read one, and then you put it down, and you come back like three days later because your mind has forgotten you know, what you read before, so that the next story seems fresh. You read them back to back, and it's like one long, continuous... uh, uh, Pain in the butt, let me tell you. When it comes to the Golden Age stories, it's pretty much neck and neck between those books. And And man, those Golden Age Batman stories were good. And this book had some of what I assume in my limited reading are classics. You have, in order or a little out of order, I guess, as you'll see, Batman's first appearance in Detective Comics number 27, the first appearance of the Joker in Batman number 1, which is one of my top five all-time favorite Batman stories ever, frankly. The first appearance of Alfred in Batman number 16, before he was the svelte, bald, smooth butler who's a sex machine with all the chicks, or at least... Leslie Tompkins, apparently, according to Devin Grayson. Uh, But no, this was the overweight and wannabe uh, cockney detective Alfred. Uh, The book goes a tad out of order to show the first appearance of Robin in Detective Comics number 38, and then ends the section with the first appearance of Clayface, or Clayface 1's first appearance in Detective number 40, and the Riddler's first appearance 100 issues later in Detective Comics number 140. Now, at the time, I didn't appreciate the history and how I was reading the first appearances of these characters. I just liked the comics, and as the book goes on, there is a lot to like. Batman from the 30s to the 70s is why I have a great affection for the original Batwoman and Bat-Girl and Ace the Bat-Hound, because their first appearances were in there as well. And there's something really charming about those stories. I mean, I know that those comics were more than likely produced to show that, hey, Batman and Robin like girls. Really, they do. We swear. Nothing immoral going on here. Please don't write another book, Dr. Wortham. Please? In um, in his book, Batman Unmasked, Analyzing a Cultural Icon, uh, Will Brooker, or I guess I should say Dr. Will Brooker, devotes an entire section to the question of how suggestive the relationship between Batman and Robin was. And when I started that particular chapter, I thought, man, I can't believe he's going with this. And then after reading the chapter, I thought, wow, those two were definitely taking part in the love that dare not speak its name. Batman Unmasked is a great book, by the way. Uh, Will Brooker wrote it as part of his higher education and even managed to convince the government in England to give him money to write it. Now that's a program we need here in the States. I wonder if such a program exists, actually. I wonder if it would be in one of those books that Matthew Lesko supposedly writes. You know Matthew Lesko. Skinny guy in glasses, screaming on infomercials about he can get you supposedly secret access to government grants and the like. You know, Lesko... You know, Lesko wears a suit covered in question marks. It's kind of like the Riddler. Anyway, Batman from the 30s to the 70s is one of those influential books of my youth, but at the time I didn't really read comics, and when I did, they were mostly Marvel in nature. 
When I started collecting more heavily in 1987 or so, I picked up the occasional Batman book. I remember getting Batman number 410 and Batman Annual number 11 during that early proto-collecting period. This was another example of me liking a story without having any context about why I should or shouldn't like it. Batman number 410 had the post-crisis on Infinite Earth's Jason Todd... <sighs> Crap, thanks Infinite Crisis for really ruining the term post-crisis and really needing to qualify it more. Darn you. Darn you all to heck. But that's where Jason Todd climbed into the Robin suit for the first time, and after a fight with Two-Faced, he discovers that not only was his father a hired gun of sorts that worked for Two-Face, but that he was also killed by the Scarred One. I knew nothing about Jason Todd at the time, and just enjoyed the story and art, blissfully unaware of the controversy that he was courting. Batman Annual Number 11 had a pretty decent Penguin story, but it also had this story about the cl- third Clayface, or Clurred Thayface, as I apparently tried to say. Anyways, it was about the third Clayface, written by Alan Moore, and as a kid, I I just didn't get it. I mean, I thought highly of it. I liked it. But it, in that story, Clayface 3 was revealed to be pretty crazy and in love with a mannequin. <sighs> Creepy. What? What the heck's going on? My phone. Okay. Give me just a second here. Uh, that's the number of the creepy guy. Yep, not going to answer that. Don't need to talk to him. Got to see about getting him blocked. Anyways, where was I? Oh, I started to pick up the Batman books heavily uh, around 1988 or so. I was 12 when the whole 900 number kill Jason Todd thing went down. Somewhere around here, I, I think I have the article I clipped out of the morning call at Allentown when that uh, when that particular story was published. Man, that was a media frenzy. Everyone seemed to be talking about it. About a year or so later, one of the younger kids I hung out with uh, finally got around to reading it and actually took the time out of his busy day to strap a firecracker to his Toy Biz Robin figure to simulate the blowing up of Jason Todd. I, I really don't remember feeling... Any- you know, anything one way or the other. I didn't get the actual comics until years later because they were like 30 bucks a piece at the time because I missed them when they were on the on the stands and only read them around that period because DC put out a cheapy trade of the four issues. God, that thing was printed on the cheapest newsprint possible. It was five bucks. A lot of money for me at the time. But I wanted to know what happened, man. I, I had to know. This was also the early stages of Batmania, which surrounded the release of the Tim Burton-Michael Keaton Batman film in 1989, a craze that swept the nation and had everyone crazy, or batty, one might say, about Batman. (laughs) That wasn't funny at all. And yeah, I was one of them. 1989 was the first of many times where I would get into Batman only to lose interest later. I don't know why this is, either. I get into Batman, I get out of Batman. I get into Batman, I get out of Batman. In the summer of 1989, I started collecting both Batman titles and managed to catch Batman Year 3 in the regular Batman book and Mud Pack in Detective, which I really liked. 
Mud Pack was a great story teaming in one form or another all of the villains who were called Clayface, including the first one, Basil Carlo. And this was one of those moments where I felt supremely cool, or as cool as a 13-year-old in the comics can feel, because I knew who he was. And because, you know, because of Batman from the 30s and the 70s. And I knew who the third Clayface was because of Batman Annual Number 11. So it was like one of those moments where I was in the know. I didn't have to catch up later or learn the, you know, the facts academically. I continued to collect both titles well into 1990 and managed to be there for the first appearance of Tim Drake until sometime after the summer of that year, I just stopped buying the books. No real reason. Just didn't get them. I mean, I was in junior high school. I didn't have much money to spend on comics. I mean, I think really the only reason I bought as many comics as I did that summer is because we started recycling. And uh, I would crush cans because my mother drank metric metric tons of uh, Pepsi on a weekly basis. So we had a lot of cans, and I'd crush them. We'd take them to the recycling place, I'd get some money, and we'd head to the comic shop. So So flash forward to 1994. I start picking up the Batman books again. Well, most of them. I was never really into Legends of the Dark Knight. I I bought the first few issues, because you kind of had to. But frankly, if it didn't have to do with mainstream continuity, I just didn't care. I tracked down all of the Night's End issues and read the trades to Nightfall and really deeply got into the character, which included picking up the Robin title as well. And this was a great time to collect Batman, too. Alan Grant on Shadow of the Bat, which started life in 1992 to kind of promote Batman Returns, which is a terrible movie. Um, You had Doug Munch. I think it's Munch. I'm going to say Munch. Doug Munch on Batman, and more importantly, you had Chuck Dixon on Detective and Robin. And I love Chuck Dixon. Well, I don't love Chuck Dixon as a person. It's not like Chuck Dixon has a restraining order out on me again, anything, but I dig the hell out of his writing. Alan Grant wrote a great psychological tale, and Moench was good with the creepy, kooky, altogether ooky stories, but Dixon, Dixon wrote detective stories and played up the cops in Batman's life. And his Robin, I hold Chuck Dixon's first 50 or so issues of Robin to some of the best comics ever published. I really got into that title, especially in 1995, which was a pretty rough year for me personally. And the comics I couldn't afford but bought anyway were my escape. And while there are a number of books that got me through, Robin and Detective were two of the better ones. There was something about the way he wrote Tim Drake that made the character very likable and easy to relate to. And I was totally immersed into Batman's world. Until right after Contagion when I dropped out. Now, when I stopped reading in 1996, it was mostly due to financial considerations. I just couldn't afford to get them. I even dropped Robin, which hurt a bit. Two years later, when things were a little better for me, I picked up again right at Cataclysm, where Gotham gets hit with an earthquake. And that was a good time to come in. I started buying Robin again, and even got into Nightwing, another Chuck Dixon book that I liked a lot. In 1999, I dropped the books again because I didn't like the cut of this no-man's-land jib, uh, because I'm an idiot, and of course started picking up the Bat books again right afterwards when the new regime came in and I was introduced to Greg Rucka's writing. Actually, it was Rucka that drew me back in with his novelization of No Man's Land. Uh, 
Man, that was a good book. Led me to picking up a couple of his Atticus Kodiak novels, too. A series I am behind on. I really need to catch up on that. So up and down. Up and down, collect and drop, catch and release. And I have no idea why. It's not that I'm fair-weathered about it. It's just this weird thing that I prefer to read the Batman books in hindsight rather than as they happen. This feeling was cemented in 2003 when I began the most massive reading project I have ever undertaken. See, starting in 2000, I made a concerted effort to collect all of the Batman books I didn't have, starting with Batman 401 and going until the then-present. And I did it. God help me, I did it. I even bought the Nightwing and Catwoman issues I didn't have. I was obsessed, consumed with wanting those comics. And when I finally got all of them, with the exception of Catwoman number 89, which I found at one point and said, I'll get it next week, and it was gone, I read them. took me some time. I started in about July of 2003. I had been for the next year or so, I just plowed through those books. At home, on my lunch hour, I even took a stack on my honeymoon and read them while my new bride was getting ready or doing or during one of those rare quiet moments when we weren't, you know, doing what newlyweds do on their honeymoon. Anyways, I discovered that there were errors I really liked, and others that seemed to go on forever. There was the new Batman, which began in 1989 when Denny O'Neill took over as editor, which had some high points and some definite low ones. Uh, The death of Jason Todd, which I like as a story. The Batmania Mark I era, which I also liked. Uh, the early 90s, which had some highs and lows as well. So you had Nightfall, Night's Quest, Night's End, Zero Hour, Prodigal, Contagion, Legacy, Cataclysm, Aftershock, and then No Man's Land. You know the book I didn't like? Yeah, No Man's Land was a fantastic story. God, I love those books. What a great concept that is preposterous when you really look at it, but makes for great drama nonetheless. A story so good, I not only bought the individual issues, but the trades as well, because sometimes I don't feel like digging into the archives. No Man's Land is one of those few times where an event has a good, strong opening, a middle that builds nicely, and an ending? Frankly, I almost cried at the end of No Man's Land. It hit me that hard. I don't want to give it away. I mean, I know it was published like eight years ago, but, you know, I'm really suggesting here that if you haven't read it, do so. Five volumes, and if you hit eBay, you might find them cheap. God, they really need to make an omnibus of that. This decade has been an odd one for Batman. I I liked the whole build-up to Bruce Wayne Murderer, and I liked Hush, but right about the time War Games was going on, I just completely lost interest in all of it. I stopped buying the books, only to start again around the time of Infinite Crisis, because I wanted to see the whole Return of Jason Todd thing, and in all honesty, I liked it. I know Judd Winnick was writing the book at the time, but I hold that Judd Winnick is a pretty good writer when it's a you know, solo character, not a team book. 
I tried to keep up after Infinite Crisis when they went into the whole one year later thing, but it, it just wasn't the same. I didn't care as much, and outside of the resurrection of Raz or Rachel Ghoul, I, I haven't looked back. Why? Well, I don't know really. I just have no interest. Usually it is a major event that draws me back in, and while I have been picking up Robin, because Chuck Dixon is back and that's awesome, uh, Resurrection just didn't do a whole lot for me and didn't have that same thing that Night's End or Cataclysm or any, or any of those other you know big, huge events that you know draw me into the title had. This is where my affinity for Superman trumps the nostalgic affection I have for Batman. Both characters have been around, you know, seven or so decades, and both are, more or less, trying to put new coats of paint on the old characters. But I just like Superman more. Plus, you know, I know you know this, but these things are like three bucks a piece now, and money is getting kind of tight. I mean, the wife and I are trying to have a kid over here. Can't waste money on Batman. Superman, him! Him I can waste money on, but not Batman. So, um, yeah, that wraps up another exciting episode of Views from the Longbox. I did get two emails uh, last week regarding my Ask Mike a question about comics, but both are going to require some time to answer. I'm running late this week as it is, and I kind of want to get this episode out. Uh, Shag, my sometimes co-host, submitted one that apparently requires me to show my work, so that will be uh, take some time to prepare, uh, because I don't want Shag to whine that I left something out. <sighs> he will, too. He's like that. Other than that, we're pretty much done this week. I actually have some fairly exciting news regarding the show coming up in the next uh, week or so. I have a few details to iron out, but I can say that Views is stepping up a bit in the world. So between that and some other plans, it looks like to be a very busy month for me as far as blogging and podcasting. Until next time, you can find me for now at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com. There you can find the RSS feed, a hopelessly out-of-date back issue section, the iTunes link, and so on. You can also write me at, for now... Views from the longbox at gmail.com, where you can tell me about your favorite or least favorite Batman stories and ask that burning question I know that you have deep inside about comics in my Ask Mike a Question About Comics segment. Views from the Longbox is a Fortress of Bailey Tude production in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next week.